Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Before we get into this week's episode, I do want to take a moment to thank so many of you who dropped me nice notes over the last week or so. I ended my blog, as many of you know, after almost 16 years. It it was time. And I was really touched by all of you who reached out and sent me a, a note or a comment on the blog uh, thanking me, really, thank you guys. Um, I'm just there to pay it forward, and I'm glad that uh, a lot of you seem to get some entertainment and um, something out of it. So anyway, thanks to you. And uh, also, I'd like to welcome some new uh, listeners because I had... It seemed a very different audience reading my blog and listening to my podcast. And uh, I thought when I started the podcast that, oh, everyone from my blog is just going to tune into that. No, no, it's a different audience. But uh, hopefully some of you who are still interested in whatever nonsense I spew out uh, have decided to join the podcast. Uh, We welcome you. We have a lot of fun here on the on the only podcast on the Internet. I have a great guest this week and next, John Levy. John Levy is a casting director, and he has cast such shows as OER and The West Wing. He has won multiple Emmys. He is one of the premier casting directors in town, and he was a great great guest because he was very candid. If you are an actor, this is the episode, this week and next, the episode's for you because you really, really get a sense of what it takes and really what the casting landscape is today in 2022. John Levy is his name. He also has a book that just came out about uh, 10 minutes ago and is available on Amazon called Right for the Role, Breakdowns, Breakups, and Breakthroughs from 35 Years of Casting Iconic TV Shows. So, coming up, part one with John Levy right here on Hollywood and Levine. Well, first off, I have always considered casting to be one of the most difficult jobs in entertainment because it seems like your success is so dependent upon other people. I mean, you bring actors to showrunners, 
or the network or studios, and ultimately they decide, and they might not make the best decisions. And then you have to hope that the actor actually lives up to the expectations. And if not, it's kind of reflected on you. So I I guess in a sense that that's really tough because there's only so much you can do. That's that's absolutely true. Um, I've said many times that I get to say no and maybe and somebody else gets to say yes. But one of but one of the great opportunities that I've had is that I've been working with many of the same uh, writer, producer, showrunners for a very long time. And so we've developed a real understanding of each other's taste and, and requirements. And so it isn't often that uh, I believe that my collaborators uh, have made a mistake. And I guess, too, if you've worked with somebody a long time, uh, I've worked with a number of casting directors who I trusted, and I will oftentimes kind of bow to their expertise. Yes, I mean, uh, that's something that you earn over a long period of time. Uh, in in your career, whatever your field is, the the trust uh, of your collaborators. And, you know, the thing I love about television is that it is the most collaborative uh, uh, situation, you know, short of a baseball team. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we really we really depend on each other to to, uh, and good leadership lets you do your job and then weighs in with their uh, opinion and thoughts and uh, and often invites, you know, John Wells is such a great leader, uh, and I've had the privilege of working with him for more than 35 years. The, the um, you know, I, I, I trust his taste, and he trusts mine. Uh, and when we differ, we talk about it. You know, it's so subjective Uh, When I've had pilots and have had to cast them, people say, God, that must be fun. All these actors come and read for you. And for me, it's not particularly fun because I know that casting is the most important decisions I will ever have to make in the project. Everything else I can fix. But if the casting is wrong then all the lighting and all the rewriting is not going to help it. And there's so many factors and so many other things, other actors out there. Um, That's the other thing, too, is since it's pilot season and everybody is casting pilots at the same time, you find yourself in a situation where you read somebody in the morning and you go, okay, he was pretty interesting, you know, let's call him back. And then you get a call saying, well, he's going to read for ABC at 5 o'clock for a pilot, so yeah. if you want him, you got to make the deal now or you could lose him. And you're going, I don't know if he's the guy. I mean, maybe uh, it's... It's crazy during pilot season. Yeah, it certainly it certainly is. Years ago, a friend of mine did a cartoon uh, uh, of sort of a little mud puddle and ten casting directors standing around with their fishing poles, uh, their lines in the mud puddle, and the sign on the mud puddle next to it said, "35-year-old leading man with danger, sexuality, and humor." 
<laughs> yeah. And it was a very small mud hole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was almost nobody in it. Yeah. I mean, that's when we cast Ted Danson in Cheers, we were so lucky. So yeah. incredibly lucky. Because to How find sure those guys. He was the guy? Yeah. Yeah. How sure were you? Uh, we were pretty sure. We had final casting, and it was Ted, William Devane, and Fred Dreyer, who I never liked. And uh, it was so apparent when Ted did the scene with Shelley that that was that was the pair. And it's so sometimes, hard to find those James Garner kind of guys who are handsome and can do comedy. Uh, it's almost impossible. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, you know, Clooney was that guy when we did ER, where you just knew that any of the things that may have been deficits in his previous uh, pilot efforts uh, were going to be assets as Dr. As Dr. Ross, because his vulnerability and his handsomeness, uh, his bad boyness and his decency and love of the children that he was taking care of as a doctor were all they all fit together to be sure that he was that part and yet as a result of luck how many failed pilots did he make how many shows was he on that lasted six episodes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. But th that's why, uh, uh, you know, actors can be right for the role and writers can be right for the role and uh, directors can be right for the project. And so can casting directors. And and it's a it's a, a, a confluence of weird things that come together and make somebody. This is the part that's going to turn George Clooney into George Clooney. Right, right. Well, a few years ago, I had a play that was an equity production in Los Angeles. And equity requires that you do an open casting call for a day. Right. And I saw hundreds of actors. And I'm thinking, man, your job is finding needles in haystacks. How do you find actors because there are so many you can't swing a dead cat in la without hitting four actors <laughs> wannabe yeah, um, actors but yes i think wannabe is you know when you have to do an open call like you had to do you're liable to see uh hundreds of people who aren't even remotely right for the role <laughs> yes um, that's true and, and when you're doing a a pilot that has prestige behind it in terms of the auspices the network the studio the produ production company the you know the the, the creators uh, and the director you know then then you can be a more uh refined kind of a filter uh and over the long period of time that i've been doing this you develop relationships with agents and managers and you know what their taste is and you know who you can trust and who you have to make prove it. And uh, and so the process has a, a, a little bit more uh, fluidity and ease to it uh, and, and a little bit more focus so that you can get to the end point 
with a little bit more uh, direct route. Yeah, I know, again, when we are casting pilots and the actors that come in are all SAG actors. They all have resumes. They've all done a lot of things. And most of them know how to hit a joke. And so it's kind of up to us to go, okay, they're all at a B level how do you find the one where there's something a little special? There's a sparkle. There's something behind the eye. Um, but, yeah, it is kind of tough when everybody you see, you could go, yeah, you know, if this is the La Mirada Dinner Theater, I hire this guy in a minute. You know, how do you discover actors? Well, um, I, you know, I... I, I'd have to say that I, that I don't know, and in some ways I don't want to know, but I have <laughs> d- developed an instinct uh, throughout my whole life for sort of making snap judgments about people, which in your personal life might not always be such a good idea. But in my professional life, I get you. I get you quickly. I see what your qualities are, what what you seem to be. You know, you never know what somebody really is until you get to know them personally and well. But I, I have an instinct for uh, getting people. And I, I think you and I are of, of similar generation. And, you know, I, I'm very much a 60s guy. Uh, uh, developed a lot of my core values during my college days in the middle to late sixties, and and uh, my instincts about people developed then as well. And I learned to trust m- my sense of other people. So, say I was hitchhiking, and I someone stopped to pull me over, and I thought rather quickly that they might kill me. I didn't get in the car. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> uh, do uh, you go to a lot of plays? Do you spend a lot of time in those small theaters and Melrose? I certainly did during my early days. I now kind of rely on my two wonderful associates to do a lot of that kind of legwork, although I'm going Sunday to see uh, a, a play uh, in, in town. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear that you have written for the theater. I uh, had the NEA. Well, uh, that's a sort of a long story, but I, uh, Gordon Davidson offered me a fellowship at the Mark Taper forum in 1980. And I served as a director for readings of new plays, as well as uh, uh, full productions of in their new play festival and also assisting the directors on the main stage. And I was there for more than two years uh, and, and, uh, you know, the, that experience, because I got to work with a casting director and parenthetically, that was the first time I'd ever heard of a casting director, um, and dramaturgs, playwrights, actors. And I learned to speak all of those languages, uh, which helped me enormously once, once my casting career began after my directing career, uh, came to a halt. Well, I may be calling you at some point when I have a play. <laughs> oh, good. Please do. I, I'm anxious now that uh, 
things have slowed down a little bit, uh, you know, uh, as I've hit this age group. Um, I'm anxious to do a play. And in fact, I'm, I'm shopping a play written by uh, my college girlfriend who I've stayed friends with for 50 plus years. Uh, uh, and I've directed two of her previous plays here in Los Angeles. And uh, I'm hoping to get a production of her most recent piece. When you talk about qualities uh, that you look for in actors, I guess one, and it's very intangible, has to be potential. Because you can see an actor this year, and you can see him two years from now, and the amount of growth might be palpable. So uh, I guess you got to figure that in in the mix as well. Absolutely. You, you know, you have to sort of become your own computer to file away auditions that weren't right for the role um, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, uh, but to where you kind of go with that, well, that guy is really interesting. I want to keep track of him. And then you might call his agent or his manager the next day and say, hey, you know, she was fantastic. So interesting, not ready, not right. But I want you to please keep track of her and let me know when she gets jobs so that I can watch them and let me know if she's doing a play in town so I can go and see it. Um, you, you, you very much track potential, but by qualities, I meant more, um, uh, things like, you know, do they feel uh, like they're a mess or do they feel like they can take care of themselves? Do they feel competent or do they feel distracted? Do they feel, uh, sexy or do they not lead with their sexuality? Do people confide in them? And that therefore they seem trustworthy. Do, does nobody ever confide in them? Therefore they seem untrustworthy. Uh, you know, and 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 you, you as you read material, you get a strong sense from talking to the writer and the director in a kind of concept meeting uh, about what the qualities are that this person needs to embody. And you know, it, it, it's never the same thing as the truth. I don't know if Michelle Pfeiffer is the greatest lover that ever lived, but she certainly seems like it. <laughs> I'd like to know personally. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I'd like to be able to, to verify that. Well, I, I'm sure a lot of your day is taken up writing out lists. You know, when, when you get a breakdown of a character, uh, you have to make lists and then you have to check with agents and managers for availability. And there's a, a lot of legwork that must go on in your profession. Uh, absolutely. But again, I, I would say that over all of the years that I've been doing this, I have learned to create an environment in my office where the assistants and the associates are trusted collaborators and partners. And I encourage them to do a lot of that kind of legwork uh, uh, while I uh, am reading actors and looking at film and tape, uh, uh, digital uploads and such, and making assessments about people's qualities and people's talents and people's, uh, you know, discipline and approach to their work. Um, so yes, the casting office has to do all of those things that you described, but as I've gotten further into my career, uh, I am a great believer in teamwork and try to empower the young people that are working for me 
to uh, to, to do some of that work. And, and, and frankly, uh, it's because that's part of the work that interests me the least. Sure. And the, the building of the actual uh, cast is what interests me the most. And I've been fortunate enough to have enough uh, success so that I, I have been able to kind of uh, eat the part of the meal that uh, that appeals to me the most <laughs> and, and let them have the potatoes. <laughs> you know, there are a number of schools. There are a number of ways that actors train various methods. Um, can you tell in an audition, can you go, oh, okay, there's a Meisner guy, or oh, okay, there's Strasberg. Can you tell from auditions? Well, I can certainly tell this is a trained actor with a muscle. Um, you know, the, the kids who come out of Yale and NYU and Carnegie Mellon and, 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 and uh, Juilliard are, are, you know, they have a muscle. They have a technique. They know how to make adjustments. And, you know, uh, the worst thing that can happen in an audition is for somebody to say, uh, would you like to see it another way? And you say, yes, please. And then they do it the same way. <laughs> That's an actor who doesn't have training or muscle. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure that uh, it, it, while I'm watching on audition, I can say who the teacher was. But I certainly uh, uh, can say that they that they have had teachers and that they have done their work and that they are taking it seriously and that they're you know, the prettiest girl and the funniest guy gets off a bus in downtown Los Angeles a hundred times a day. Uh, but if they have, if they only have their looks or their their class clown thing and no training, they'll be revealed in a big hurry. It's one of the reasons why I never went into acting. It's because I saw what it takes to be a really good actor. And it's like, nah, that's not me. I, I don't have that gift. And uh, yeah. and there are others who really do. Okay, I Absolutely. want to get into a, a topic, because you talked about adjustments, which sort of leads me into it. As a result of the pandemic, uh, prior to the pandemic, most of casting sessions were live, where an actor would read for you or producers in a room. As a result of the pandemic, uh, it kind of became fashionable to do these self, uh, as you said, you know, digital auditions. And that has now almost become the norm. Your thoughts on the, the self-tape trend? Well, it, uh, it, it wasn't really uh, a trend. Uh, it, it was a necessity because we weren't going to be in rooms at the with time. People. But now now it's a trend. Now yeah. it's what they're doing. Yes, it is. And, and it's, uh, you know, technology in general has impacted the casting process for years. You know, when we did the pilot of ER, the studio and the network couldn't look at our video or digital uploads at the end of every day and therefore they you know they relied on us to be straightforward about our process uh and and uh you know now the supervision level of casting and for those of us who are old enough 
uh, we might call it interference uh, 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 rather than supervision. It feels I'll a little call bit it like interference. I, I'm I'm willing to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll me call too. it interference. And and you know, it, it, but it, obviously, technology has created convenience and ease and speed and uh, uh, efficiency and you know economy of uh, of time spent. But what it is robbing us of in general and specifically in terms of uh, the, the trend to do self-tapes is human interaction. And we're in the business of telling the stories of people's lives. And uh, if we don't have any contact with people, how the hell are we qualified? Yeah. What are we basing it on? And, and also with self-tapes, you don't know if it's their first take, their 33rd take. You don't you don't know you miss out on and, and, and you miss out on the casual conversation that happens in a room where people reveal things about themselves, where you can sort of set the tone of the project. I mean, casting Shameless was very different than casting the West Wing uh, uh, and, and that sort of freedom to be shameless. Uh, we we could tell if someone had that freedom to be shameless. Uh, uh, we also could tell if someone could talk fast enough to say Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. <laughs> That's true because, you know, for an actor, it's like shooting at a moving target. And, and as a producer, again, going back to adjustments, I love the fact that an actor would come in and he would read... And he would have a certain quality that I liked, but he was off a little bit. Exactly. And I could give him an adjustment, and I could see if he was able to make the adjustment, number one. And number two, once he made the adjustment, you go, okay, yeah, yeah. But when you just see the self-tape, you don't know. It's just a guy who kind of missed. Right, exactly. And, and that's the whole human interaction part of it. Uh, um you know, when you when you give an adjustment to someone, you're partly seeing if they have the muscle to make the adjustment. Right. Yes, of course. Right. But you're also seeing what their communication is like, what you know, what their openness is, uh, what their willingness is, what their bravery is. Uh, there's so many important things. Uh, and auditioning is not the same as being on the set and working. Uh, it, it, it's a different skill. But it's a place that you learn about the person that you're going to spend hours with, days with, weeks with, months with. And, and you know, uh, uh, that uh, putting together a group of people that are going to be collaborative uh, and open and brave and willing is a very important part of the mercurial process of casting. Yeah, and it's also tough for the actors because now they have to, like, buy special lighting and they have to get all the cameras and yeah, they have exactly. to memorize. And uh, it's it's a very different process. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the interference and how over the last number of years the networks have – been looking over your shoulder much more than they had in the past. It used to be when we would cast a pilot, uh, especially in L.A., 
we never did any kind of videos on any of the casting sessions, and we brought actors to the network who we liked. Well, now they want you to record the sessions, and they want to see the sessions. And there have been a couple of cases where our casting director will come to us and say, okay, I want to bring in a guy. Now, he's not at all what you picture, it's a totally different way of going with this, but it might be interesting. And we always would go, okay, sure. And an actor would come in, and sometimes it would be great, and we'd say, we'll rewrite the part to fit him. This is better than what we have. And other yeah. times you'll just go, you know, no, nice try, but it didn't work. Well, now the nice try didn't work tape goes to ABC and ABC goes, well, that guy's terrible. And you're going, well, no, he's not terrible. He was just in the wrong role. Um, it's, again, very unfair to actors. And it's yeah, unfair I, I, f- for us, too, because now the casting directors, I, I think, are less willing to just bring in somebody out of left field for that yeah, I, reason. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, uh, um on the whole 11 year run of shameless, there was one particular character that the network originally said no to the actor. Uh, and, and they now have approval. And I, I'll t- in a moment, I'd like to tell you a, a brief story about a one line actor who was not approved in a network <laughs> pilot. Okay. Um, but, but at the moment, th- this actor, because on the page, the writer had written a call back to a, famous moment in some movie which i frankly don't remember but it was a western where three bad guys came over the hill on their giant black horses and they were giant men and that that was the image that the writer had and the actor that we wanted is dangerous as hell but little and they had read the description and they just couldn't see what we saw. And that actor was Noel Fisher, who ended up playing Mickey Milkovich and ended up in the gay romance with the Ian character who was and became went from a one shot guest to a multi-season series regular and one of the most important and uh, powerful and funny relationships and that our audience loved. Uh, and culminating in the in their gay wedding uh, that was one of the most watched episodes uh, of Shameless. And it, because he wasn't right for what the image that had been presented, they didn't see it. And we, fortunately, because of ER on the West Wing and other shows, we had developed enough of a clout, I guess you'd say, to be able to say to the network, gee, I really think you're wrong, please reconsider. And they did, and they finally approved Noel, and and the rest is, as they say, is biology. Yeah, we had a situation uh, around 2004, 2003, so, somewhere before Breaking Bad. We had a sitcom pilot at Fox, and we brought in this young actor, Aaron Paul, Oh, him. (laughs) Who was, like, amazing. And Sandy Grushow just didn't see it. 
Yeah. And and we were like, how could you not? How could you not? We had read a hundred people. This guy is special. And you look at Aaron Paul and you think, how can anyone not instantly see that there's a special quality? Mm-hmm. But we had to fight the network. We actually did get him, but uh, we had to bring him in like three times. Yeah, but pursuant to that, when you have to work that hard to convince the network, they always have a bad taste in their mouth forever. We did a pilot, uh, John Wells Productions uh, and uh, uh, at, at Fox, uh, called Studio City. It was written by Krista Vernoff, who's gone on to be, you know, own a whole night on ABC. Um, and the lead girl, which young young teenage girl, we wanted the British actress Florence Pugh. And they didn't see it. But we fought them. We eventually, after many auditions, got her approved. But they never liked her. And so the show didn't go. And yeah. as, as, as your audience, I'm sure, knows, Florence has since been nominated for an Academy Award and is the cat's meow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and if you're an actor listening to this, uh, hopefully it gives you some hope that just because you are rejected by somebody, even a studio or a network, it doesn't mean that you are not going to have a very, very successful career. And that's part one of my two-part interview with casting director John Levy. Once again, his book is called Right for the Role, Breakdowns, Breakups, and Breakthroughs from 35 Years of Casting Iconic TV Shows. I would say ER and the West Wing are iconic TV shows. Anyway, come back next week. Uh, If you thought this week was entertaining and informative, next week is is maybe even 5% better. So uh, please return. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. I don't have a blog anymore, but uh, you can still follow me. I'm around. I'm on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I am also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I share my cartoons. Next week, part two with John Levy. Come on back. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hollywood and Levine.